So, you want to save the planet. In just a matter of months, more than 100 world leaders will gather in Glasgow, Scotland for COP26. There, they will make some of the biggest decisions yet on how to tackle climate change and set out plans that will change the way we all live our lives forever. But that's the big picture. What can we do to help now? I'm Lewis Mickey. And I'm Natalie Crawford Goodwin. And this is So You Want to Save the Planet. The Planet and Your Travel. So Natalie, this podcast is all about what we can do in our day-to-day lives to help save the planet. And I thought, what better place to start than our transport? Do you know what, Lewis? That is a great place to start because getting from A to B is such a massive part of everyone's lives and there's a lot of work happening to make it all more climate friendly. And we really can't overestimate how much travelling, be it car, train, bus, whatever, contributes to climate change. Globally, transport accounts for over 20% of carbon emissions and three quarters of that comes from our roads. Well, we've definitely got to start on our roads then. So many of us are part of that in some way, whether it's commuting to work or doing the school run. We just, all of us, I can't think of anybody that doesn't regularly use a car. Yeah, so let's look at the cars first specifically then, because that's where individually our carbon footprint is often at its highest. So for a bus, for example, that might produce a lot of carbon, but it's also carrying a lot more people. So the cumulative damage to the planet isn't as bad. Right. So I know you got a shot of a fancy electric car a wee while ago. I'm not jealous. I'm not jealous at all. Um, But why don't you tell me all about it? Well, first of all, I've got to thank the lovely folks at Arnold Clark Innovation Centre for setting us up with the Hyundai Hyundai Kona. Um, I've got to say the the brand of the car. And uh, I didn't know that was a brand (laughs) before I drove this one. A Hyundai um, Kona. I quite like the sound of that. It sounds quite fancy. It was actually, maybe that says more about what I'm driving now, but uh, before I give you my review, it's probably more helpful to know a little bit more about the car. So that's where Stuart from the Innovation Centre comes in. If you've ever driven a automatic, you'd be absolutely fine. If you've never driven an automatic, just thing to remember is there's no clutch. With electric, it's not exactly automatic because there's no gears to change through. So the automatic term comes from automatic changing through gears. So essentially it's a motor that just goes faster and faster and faster. One thing that's really nice is with the electric cars, it's essentially a, a hairdryer type element behind the fan. So heating up in the morning, it's nice and quick. So obviously there's no engine to heat up before the air comes through. If you've ever driven an automatic before, Lewis, you'll be absolutely fine driving this. I'll let you see where the charging connections go. So in the corner, they are right at the very front of the car. When it's all connected up like so, there's two options. So we're just looking at the top half. That's what we call a Type 2 cable. So that is for fast charging. Most home wall boxes will use this connector. For the rapid charging of the network, it's a cable that will fit into the full segment here. The fast charger will only use the top half. The rapid charging will use the full segment, so there's going to be no confusion if you're using the right cable. If a cable fits in this, it's the right cable. Most people prefer having these cables at the front of the back, just easier pulling in and out to the charging points. Now, when it comes to charging outside, I'm going to give you what we call a Charge Place Scotland card. Charge Place Scotland is the national infrastructure for charging in Scotland, so it's the majority of the chargers are Charge Place Scotland. And I'll show you an app to find the charger points. You'll be able to see if it's Charge Place Scotland, how much it'll cost and these sorts of things. I'm going to give you a small card to take away as well. So all you need to do when you come up here is have the card in your hand, touch it against here, and it'll give you the options of which charger you want to use. Come up and tap your card, select the cable you want, so you either pick the DC CCS or the AC Type 2. You click that and then begin to charge. So plug in and away you go. Once you're finished charging, 
first thing you do is again scan your card, hit stop on the screen, and that is it. So nice and easy. So just remember, start with the card and then finish with the card. So you want to save the planet? Okay, so I've just arrived back in Aberdeen after my test drive to Bonness and back. So that's roughly about 250 miles. So I've got a really good chance to test out the car. The first thing you notice really is that it is so silent and I can make that point to you right now by telling you the fact that the car is actually running as I speak. You can't hear a thing really, can you? Um, I have turned off the, the heaters and the, or the vents I should say and those sorts of things but in terms of the actual engine you aren't hearing that at all and it's even the same when you're up at 70 miles per hour on the dual carriageway you only hear the radio which is fantastic. It's a great drive, really comfortable, really easy to use and uh, it really gets up to speed quite quickly on the dual carriageway as well because it doesn't have to go through all of those gears so it's a great drive but the thing that really comes up is charging so let's actually go to a clip i recorded earlier when i had to charge the car and just have a little bit of a think about some of the different problems that can come up so i stopped in a car park near sterling on my way home need to charge up the car so i can get home and what I was able to do, go on the Charge Play Scotland app on the phone and just look up where they all are. And what's great about that as well is as long as users self-report, you'll know if any of the ports aren't working. Now, unfortunately for this one, I had looked on the map and it said they were all working and there is one of them that isn't working, but there is still a port we can use. So let's charge the car. And there's two different charging ports. So you use both if you're doing rapid and then fast charging is just the one. And we're gonna to try to do the rapid and hopefully working on this one. So I've got this Charge Scotland card. What I want to do here is touch it. Start first. So a wee bit of time has passed just because I've let it charge up a little bit here in the car and I've obviously just sitting getting some work done while I wait. As I say there was a charger broken which was unfortunately the rapid one so I've had to use the fast one which means about 40 minutes has passed and only 10% of the battery in the car has charged and according to my dash right now if I wanted to charge it to 100% it would take just a smidge over four hours which is quite a lot of time. Fortunately I don't need to charge it to 100% I just need enough to get back to Arnold Clark and they will charge it up in their car park with their much quicker chargers which are hopefully working unlike the one here. I actually spoke to a guy and um, when I got here because he was just going off the charger and he said this sort of thing happens a lot and it is the rapid chargers that break more often and it can be quite frustrating and I suppose that's an issue that we need to think about because if I look at my circumstances I live in a top floor flat I can't charge an EV at home I wouldn't be able to do that can't charge it at work we don't have any ports there so you're looking at where you can use the public ones now a supermarket or a multi-story car park while you're doing other things that is fantastic but are you always going to be able to do that because really it's not practical to have to sit in a car for four hours while you wait for it to charge one way or another you need to be able to do it while you're doing other things if you can't do that at home or at work there are quite limited places where you can look to do that now this is something that the Competitions and Markets Authority have recently done a study into in terms of the challenge that we have to basically make our charging ports and our charging centres up to par so that we can get more EVs on the road. So I've been speaking to Sabrina Bazran and she's going to basically talk us through just how big that challenge really is. 
we looked at the EV charging sector as a as a whole, um, quite a broad study, and, and looking about at the sector across the UK. Um, and we found that, you know, overall, while some parts of charging are working well, so charging at supermarkets, for example, other parts of the sector are facing challenges. So in particular, uh, charging along motorways, charging in remote areas, and also charging on street at the curbside. For example, you know, there's only, I think, 1,000 on-street charge points outside of London. How many charging points are actually going to have to be installed to try and keep up with that demand? Yeah, it's quite, um, I think it's fair to say it's difficult to put a precise number on the charge points that will be needed. It will depend on things like EV take up and, you know, people's uh, work and living patterns and, and preferences. There are some forecasts which estimate that we will need 240 to 480,000, so more than 10 times the amount of public charge points that we have at the moment. And obviously it's one thing installing them, but um, when I tried it out, as I told you, pretty much everywhere I went, there was at least one that wasn't working. I spoke to a few other people who use EVs on the day to day and they said it quite often happens. So is there need to be more investment into the maintenance of these as well? Yeah, so we looked at the people's experience of, of using charge points and we, we found that there's still a way to go. Um, Drivers are facing difficulties and frustrations, I think, um, in kind of finding pain for charging. So, for example, I think, you know, only 9% of chargers have contactless payments. We need to make sure that the experience of charging is simple. I think one of the things we've said is charging needs to be as simple as filling up with petrol or with diesel. And some of the measures that we've recommended are calling on government to make the charging sector one that people can trust, making sure that charging can be used easily and simply. One of the things that, you know, which goes back to, I think, kind of making sure that there's enough charging in place and the scale of the challenge here is making sure that the right type of charging, so for example, the speed of charging is in place and, and that everybody can access that. So at the moment, um, there is a postcode lottery and, and lots of variation. I think, for example, even in Scotland, which is actually doing relatively well, if you're in Glasgow, there's around 31 charge points for every 100,000 people compared to, say, Aberdeen, where there's 45. So there is variation. So we found um, challenges in, in kind of three main areas. So charging along motorways is one of those. And in particular, that's um, linked to potentially where there's kind of one main charging provider covering about 80% of motorway service areas. And the CMA has launched its own investigation actually looking into that, where we think that might be acting as a barrier to new providers coming in and, and kind of providing competition. But the other aspects of the sector where we found challenges were in particular charging on street charging. And that's an area where local authorities play a really key, important role. But the rollout there has been quite patchy and quite slow. So you want to save the planet? That's an idea of what we need to see change with cars. Mm -hmm. But if we want to reduce our carbon footprint, we're all going to have to use more public transport, or at least that's what we're told. But even on those models of transport, things need to be more sustainable. And these companies are all working to make it like that. So Natalie, I have a choice for you, actually. Buses or trains? Um, I am 29 now and I have not been in a bus since I was 16. That is a true story. I am not a bus person at all. And I'm going I'm going to say train. See, see with buses, I used to be like the king of buses when I was oh. in school because like where I lived was like 15 minutes away from where most of my friends lived. 
And then as soon as I got a car, I've never looked back. I think one time it was getting an MOT and I had to get the bus and it was the worst day of my life. (laughs) (laughs) The first six months of uni where I still had to get the bus was horrific. Absolutely horrific. I've not been in a bus for 13 years. (laughs) Hopefully trains can be so fantastic that we can keep it that way. So we'll start with them. And look, we're already working our way in Scotland to electrifying much of the line across the country. That is the ambition But I actually want to talk about another way of powering our trains because we won't be able to do it all with electricity. Oh, how come? Well, I'm actually going to allow Fraser Henderson from Transport Scotland to explain that one for me. We identified two areas of Scotland where we will not electrify the network. Those are on the lines from Inverness to Wick, Thurso and Kyle of Lochalsh and from Glasgow to Maleg, Oban and Fort William. Firstly, the cost of installing overhead uh, line electrification is currently about one to two million pounds per kilometre. And that cost, the upper level is determined to a large extent by bridges uh, and tunnels. And you need to provide sufficient clearance on the electrification uh, to enable you to run the electric cable under a bridge or through a tunnel. And if you can't do that, Uh, The worst case scenario is that you have to end up rebuilding the bridges and tunnels to give sufficient clearance. The other aspect really that comes into play on the lines north of Inverness or across to Oban and Fort William is that they are tending to run through areas which are of high scenic value and putting overhead line electrification could detract markedly from the scenic qualities in those areas, the scenic value in those areas. So, you want to save the planet? Right, and we'll come back to Fraser in a minute, but I want to look at that idea of using hydrogen. So what I do know about this is that they're developing a prototype of a hydrogen train to show off at COP26, which is obviously the whole reason we're doing this podcast in the first place. And as Fraser was saying there, these are going to be quite important for certain parts of Scotland to make train journeys more eco-friendly. And we've actually been lucky enough to get a look at one of those trains, or the train actually, it's just the one. So I've been to Bowness near Edinburgh, And, well, I'll be honest, it looks pretty much like a normal train (laughs) with its inside ripped out right now. But it's how it's powered and what, if anything, it puts out into our atmosphere that really matters. Yeah, and one of the engineers on the site, Callum, actually gave me a tour and he taught me through how things work technically in the hydrogen train. So we've got an old ex-Scotrail electric train that we're converting uh, from, from electric to hydrogen power. That involves removing a lot of uh, like old redundant equipment off the train and, and putting uh, new equipment for uh, you know, hydrogen fuel cells. How long does that kind of take? How long have you been doing it now and, and when do you expect it to be finished? So the project uh, was, was kicked off in, in February, the like year at Bowness, and we're just about at the halfway point now. So we've, we've taken most of the, the old equipment off of the train and we're starting to refit the new stuff. And over the next couple of months, uh, that, that stuff's going to get delivered in time for COP26. Obviously it's a prototype for COP26, you say it's quite a few months to actually do it. So how likely is it that this could be the sort of thing that would be more common in the future? Would be a little bit away from that? Yeah, hopefully this is going to be the first of, of many. So it's, it's like a demonstrator just to, to show the technology works and the concept works. And then the next stage would be hopefully getting more trains to convert. You say that you're obviously taking a lot of old kit out and, and putting new stuff in. I mean, just how different is it, you know, if you're to take the 
unit itself, how much are you actually changing? So that this unit is, is quite old. It was built in 1979. You know, a lot of this is about uh, integrating the like old like legacy technology with new state of the art technology and control systems and, and stuff. And how does it actually work when you're, you're using hydrogen to power the train? Uh, we've got hydrogen stored as a gas, and that's fed into some fuel cells which convert it to electricity through an electrochemical process. And that's used to power the motors that drive the train and the auxiliary systems on the train as well. When these units eventually go into service on the main line, they're going to be replacing the old diesel trains, uh, which are obviously a lot more like noisy and uncomfortable than electric trains. So, you know, there'll be a big difference there. They'll be noticeably quieter and more comfortable. So, you want to save the planet? Right, as interesting as all this sounds, this is still a prototype right now. So when could we actually be using these trains? That's what I asked Fraser from Transport Scotland. So let's go back to him to get a bit of a forecast on the train situation across the country. I would be expecting people to be using them on a, on a more regular basis, certainly by 2030 and for some communities may be using a hydrogen train uh, much earlier than that. It may be that we could get a hydrogen train into service, so it would be mixing with diesel trains north of Inverness, potentially from 2026 onwards. But that is all going to be dependent upon the success of the work that we're doing on hydrogen technology uh, and also our other investments that we're making across the railway network because clearly we are accelerating our electrification of the network in Scotland and 2023 we'll be doing some infill work down to Barhead. 2024 we'll be looking to electrify the services to East Kilbride which will give us a really good electrified network within the west of Scotland. We'll also be looking to electrify part of the line probably in the Borders Railway south of Edinburgh and use a combination of a battery and electric train in that location. And we'll be looking to introduce battery electric trains within Fife from 2024, five, six onwards. So you want to save the planet? So that's the train, mm-hmm. but obviously we can't get everywhere on the, one of those. Mm-hmm. So in our major cities, for example, or some of them, we're fairly limited. And if you mm-hmm. want to get in public transport, it's probably going to be a bus. Sorry, Natalie. Uh, I know, and that's the thing. Here in Glasgow, we have lots of electric buses. In fact, First Bus are in the process of building what they believe will be the largest electric charging station in Europe for all their electric buses. Meanwhile, here in Aberdeen, as part of a partnership with the council, First have actually focused their efforts on hydrogen. As in the same hydrogen as the trains? Yes, uh, I suppose the, the way it works is a bit different, but we're talking about the exact same fuel here. Yeah, so I guess on both counts, those are big improvements because buses are always so loud and a bit bumpy, but these more environmentally friendly ones, I'm led to believe, are more passenger friendly, a bit of a smoother ride. You know, as you were saying with your electric car, you know, they're almost silent and I think the buses are the same. Absolutely. I mean, I've been on a couple of these hydrogen buses in Aberdeen. You've really and as been I say, out and about. 
I have. I mean, look, after lockdown finished and all that, I've just been enjoying my freedoms. And, you know, as having been that king of the bus back in school, and let me tell you, school buses are the worst buses you'll get yep, on because those absolutely. are the bumpiest and the loudest. Yep. And mm-hmm. I must have breathed in a lot of fumes, to be honest <laughs> with you, in the back of those buses. Hydrogen buses is a lot better, I have to say. And are they working well in Aberdeen? They seem to be working quite well, actually. They were telling me they don't really have any problems with them, and so much so that they're actually looking to get more of them. So let's actually hear from the interim managing director, Duncan Cameron. Well, the the huge immediate benefit is it's a zero emission vehicle. So there are no tailpipe emissions whatsoever into the atmosphere. And compared to a diesel bus, just to put that into perspective, it's taking the equivalent of 38 petrol vehicles off the road in terms of carbon volume. So huge benefit to the environment. We have 15 of them. To be fair, they're pretty attractive, quiet, look very much the same inside, very comfortable, very pleasant seating area. We are committed to operating no emission vehicles post-2035. That's obviously a big challenge for all public transport operators, but one we're very much committed to. And how have you found them in terms of operating them and all the upkeep and things like that? Are there any challenges that you maybe didn't expect or what are the bigger challenges? Of- the, cha- the obvious challenge of, of dealing with new technology, skill set learning. In general, we've been able to operate them reliably. Drivers enjoy driving them. Minimal staff training required. They're comfortable to travel in, they're quiet, they're quiet for other road users as well. So, you know, in general, a very positive experience. And you mentioned 15 in Aberdeen at the moment. Do you imagine there could be more in the future? Is this maybe the, the future of getting on a bus in Aberdeen? Yeah, we're certainly exploring potential expansion. There's obviously there is a huge cost to hydrogen vehicles and the hydrogen fuel also comes at a heavy cost as well. You know, we need to work with stakeholders. We need to attract more passengers onto our buses to make services more viable so we can reinvest in the product The more investment we can then make into hydrogen technology or electric bus therefore speeds up the volume being produced by the manufacturers and then brings the cost down. So, you want to save the planet? Okay, so that might just be enough to talk me back on a bus after 13 years. If you're telling me they're going to run quietly, they're going to run smoother... And it's going to be better for the environment. You might just catch me on a bus at some point. And you might not even have to. I mean, there'll be trains, there'll be electric cars, which hopefully will be a little bit more (laughs) accessible to us all and a little easier to charge soon. And, And we haven't even talked about things like cycling, which hopefully we're going to start seeing more cycle lanes and things across a lot of our major cities in Scotland as well. So there's going to be a lot of options for you just to be a bit more climate friendly in the way you get from A to B. Yeah, and we've already seen a lot of that, particularly in the big cities when we're talking about cycling and we've had, you know, spaces for people over the pandemic and cycle lanes being widened and there is a lot of focus on that as well. It's definitely going to be interesting to see what the future holds in terms of, you know, will we see every house with an electric car charging point in 10, 20 years? I think we could, you know, I I think we'll see some really ambitious promises probably coming out of COP26, which of course is the whole point that we're talking about here. But yeah, we're going to see a lot of changes over the next decade when it comes to travel and transport, I think. So out of the buses, the trains and the cars, what was your favourite? Definitely the car, but 
if I was to have to buy the car, <laughs> then maybe <laughs> my bank account would say differently. But I certainly was happy enough that I'm convinced that when it's a little bit more costs worthy and maybe I'm not living in a top floor flat, that maybe I would look at an electric car. I knew you'd see the car. So on the next episode of So You Want to Save the Planet, it is myself in the hot seat and we will be taking a tour around my house and finding out what I can do to become more environmentally friendly at home and reduce my carbon footprint. And the best part about that is you can listen to that episode right now. We've released three of them all in one go, so you can go, you can binge on them and enjoy them all now. Thanks for listening and we'll speak to you next time. See you later. The planet and your travel.